Hello and welcome to the THCC podcast. Thank you for joining us. At THCC, we are a vibrant, multicultural and multi-generational church at the heart of East London in Tower Hamlets. And we gather every Sunday to worship God, learn more from the Bible and have fellowship with one another. Our passion and desire is to see the community around us to be changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Now it's time for this week's sermon and we pray that this message you're about to hear would be a real encouragement for you in your journey with Jesus. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26 to 40. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speak, speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For good, for God, it's not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the congregation of the Lord's people, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission. As the law says, if they want to inquire about something, they should ask, ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a, they are, they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge and that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Amen. Uh, hey, everybody watch, listen to the cricket yesterday, England almost making a mess up, pulling it out of the bag in the last couple of balls. Okay, we're going to um, look at today at how do we, a little bit carrying on our series, and we're going to look at 
basically how do we use prophecy in church. This is continuing from a series we've been doing, uh, going through 1 Corinthians. And I want to encourage you to make sense of today's talk. You should probably listen to Glenn's talk from last week, where he unpacks a little bit more, particularly about those verses uh, about women at the end there. So I'm not going to go into that today, but want to encourage you to, uh, to maybe take a listen to that talk first. But let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are here. And I thank you because you are here, then we can be changed, Lord God. Because you are here, you speak through your spirit. And I pray that as I speak, your Holy Spirit, Lord God, would be at work in each of our hearts and minds. Give us open hearts, open minds, open ears in Jesus' name. Help us to really take hold of what you have for us today and to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Actually, Lisa, can you just chuck that on the thing there? That was going to annoy me otherwise. <laughs> okay, um, so a couple of weeks ago, uh, Beck spoke from the first part of this passage in 1 Corinthians 14. And, uh, you know, part of this passage is explaining and giving parameters for the use of spiritual gifts in church. Now, the thing I want us to understand is this passage is written to encourage the use of spiritual gifts, not to prohibit them. And you know, some of us may have grown up in backgrounds where people took some of these verses and used them almost to argue against the use of spiritual gifts in church. And it's really important to understand Paul is encouraging them not to not use them, but to use gifts wisely. To use gifts wisely. Even the passage just earlier in 1 Corinthians about love, which we so often speak about on weddings and occasions like that. You know, it's really important to understand it's not a passage about love that then tells you how to use spiritual gifts. Actually, the passage is written about how to use spiritual gifts and a key part of that being to walk in love. We have to get that the right, right way round, otherwise we won't understand the context of this passage. So this part of the passage is talking about how do we use gifts in the local church and specifically the gift of prophecy. So we know that it's to be done uh, with a sense of love, but also we'll see here that the key points are that our gifts must be used in a way in which, as a congregation, everyone contributes. Secondly, that things are understandable. And thirdly, that things are done with indecency and in order. So I want us to look at then how do we do meetings where we're really open to the voice and speaking of the Holy Spirit in what we do. Okay, so firstly, everyone contributes. Like verse 26, what shall we say then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. So important, the context and why we desperately need genuine prophetic ministry in church is that 
everything is done so that the church might be built up. If we don't function in the gifts that God gives to us as a church, the church will not be built up as it could and should be. That's why this is important. That's why the spiritual gifts are important because God, through his Holy Spirit, gives those gifts to the church to build up the church and so that the lost can be reached. And if we neglect the gifts that God gives, then it's like an army going into battle with no weapons. We leave behind what God has called us to and equipped us for. The context, though, is so that the church can be built up. And the passage earlier in 1 Corinthians speaks about the interplay between tongues and prophecy. And Paul corrects the Corinthian church because they were placing too much emphasis on speaking in tongues in the meeting. Paul doesn't say speaking in tongues has passed away. If you've ever been taught that, I'm sorry, it's wrong. Um, the gift of tongues is very much a gift for today. But Paul says that actually in the meetings, when people are gathered, it's more important that people understand. And so the passage shows us that Paul would rather that people prophesy than speak in tongues unless there is an interpretation. Basically, Paul's saying that uh, when he prays, he prays in tongues, God edifies him internally, but unless there's someone to interpret, nobody understands. So Paul really is keen that as they come together, the only way that the gift of tongues should be used is if there is someone there to interpret. So in other words, we use tongues unless there's an interpretation as we build ourselves up in our own prayer time, but we use prophecy to build each other up. Now, before we talk a bit more about prophecy, I want to say, if you have the gift of tongues, you need to really spend time praying in tongues. It will build up and edify you. And that is such an important thing. God gives that gift to us so that we can be built up and edified. And it's really easy to neglect gifts. I don't know about you. Sometimes you might be given a gift which you then file or store in a cupboard until you're desperate for someone else's birthday. Then you re-give that gift, hopefully not to the person who gave it to you. I'm sure I've probably done that. But God gives us gifts that are useful. God gives gifts that are useful and he gives them for us so that we could use them. And the gifts of tongues is very, very important. But Paul says, when they come together, I'd rather that you could all speak more. In, he wants the, 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 um, the language to be understandable. So, but here the key thing is that everyone contributes. Brothers and sisters, each of you, each of you. If you look around the room, you will see something of the each of you. Young and old, from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of ethnicities, social classes. That is what the church of Jesus Christ in a city like ours could and should and ought to look like. 
And as we look around the room, realize that God wants to use each of us to build up the body. There is none of us who, if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you, each of us, have been given spiritual gifts. We all have gifts to use and to bring. Church is and should always be a team thing. And it's really important that church is the place where we come and all of us exercise our gifts. It's why we want to build multiple congregations of one church rather than just one large meeting where six or seven people use their gifts on a, regularly on a Sunday and lots of other stuff just lies dormant. You know, if you think about it, you know, there are churches in our city that really struggle to have people to serve or struggle to have worship leaders or preachers. And meanwhile, it's easy to accumulate. And so the point of church coming together is that it's a place where we use our gifts. So each of us has gifts. And there's so many different ways to use them. Now, Paul is talking about specific gifts here, but in the context of a Sunday service, there are so many ways to use the gifts that God has given to you. And I want to encourage you, use them. Find a place, find a way to serve. All of us have gifts. Um, and I think that means as church, we need to really look at what holds people back from using their gifts. Growing up in a working class family on a council estate with a Bangladeshi background, one of the things I noticed is that in church, there very often wasn't people from my kind of background up front and visible. I went to a, uh, as a kid, I went to a Baptist church and because they loved Jesus and loved people, actually the room was quite diverse, but all of the voices behind the microphone were from the same kind of social background, same kind of ethnic backgrounds. Basically, there wasn't a diversity of voice in the room, even if there was a diversity of uh, faces in the room. And one of the things about being an intercultural church like we are is we are absolutely committed to church to the front of this, to everything we do looking like our church, which means it can't just be people from one kind of background with a microphone in their hands. All of us have a gift. And we need to also think, though, about the range of meetings. You know, when you come together, you know, some of our gifts can really be grown into and developed in the context of small groups. I think particularly I would encourage you that the gift of prophecy, a great way to grow in that and to be built up in that is to become part of a life group and begin to step out and develop your gifting in a context which is safe, where people will encourage you and where it's easier to learn. So we need to think about... Um, um, what, what the context of the meetings are. Also realize that even on a Sunday, gifts are used in formal and non-formal ways. The gift of encouragement, actually that primarily happens over coffee. It primarily happens in the one-on-one. -on -one. Some of the most important words of prophecy I've ever received have been in smaller group conversations 
rather than just in the big meetings. So here's the thing. What's the motivation? So that the church might be built up. So the church. Not so that a ministry is built up. Not so that a person just is puffed up, but so that the church. And that's not the building. That's the coming together of all God's people. That when we assemble as a local church, it's so the church can be built up. And that's why prophecy is really important. Because God wants to build up his church and his spirit wants to use the gift of prophecy to do that. So what exactly is prophecy? Because sometimes we can think about prophecy and we can think almost, you know, if you've come from a particularly weird and strange background, you might want to go all Nostradamus on us or you might want to go, if you come from like a, a particularly social activist background, you might think about social prophets. If you, uh, if you come from the arts, you might think that some writer was a particular prophet. Well, I want to say that prophecy, I believe, in the New Testament is about being led by the Holy Spirit to bring the truth and wisdom of Scripture into the everyday of our world, into our lives, and into our choices and relationships. It's being led by the Holy Spirit to bring the truth and wisdom of Scripture into our everyday world, into our lives and uh, choices and relationships. It's, this passage talks about people having a revelation. Prophecy is God speaking through his Holy Spirit and revealing things. It is the voice of God in the church, through the church, and for the building up of the church. It's not an individualistic thing. It's the voice of God in the church, through the church, and for the building up of the church. It's really, really important to say that the prophecy that we see in a New Testament context is not infallible. You know, it, it's not uh, truth that cannot be corrected in any sense. Prophecy in the New Testament is in part. It is a very human thing. It is God at work in people, but it's not infallible. It's not like the Bible. The Bible is God's revealed word for all time. And we can't get those two things mixed up. It's not infallible. The prophecy in the New Testament is not foundational. The kind of gift of prophecy we want to encourage in our church service is not foundational in the way that the, uh, God spoke and wrote the scripture through the apostles and through the prophets. So it's not like that and it is absolutely partial and subject to scrutiny and if we ever stray from that we get into weird places it is partial it's not foundational it's not perfect and it's a very very human thing and because it's a very very human thing we can easily make mistakes with it prophecy is never something that should be used to control people should never be used to manipulate. Why? Because it ought to strength, strengthen, encourage, and comfort. So if we look here at verse 3, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. 
So what God wants to use prophetic ministry in the church voice to strengthen, to encourage, and to comfort. Prophecy builds up the church as well, though. 14.4 says, Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. It builds up church. The prophetic, when it's genuine, builds up, it shapes, it encourages the church. It helps, it leaves it stronger. Prophecy also convicts. If you look at 1 Corinthians 14, 24 to 25, we see, but if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of the heart are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. There's a way in which God speaks into people's lives. And you know, it's really interesting because sometimes that can be a little bit uncomfortable. I remember years ago having to lead a meeting where somebody wanted to, had a word and wanted to share it with the meeting. And uh, there are a lot of non-Christians in this meeting. And the word was that somebody here has a fear of fish. And I was thinking, oh no, this is properly random. It's like weird, this is going to be... And I'm just thinking, I don't want... But do you know what? In listening to it, I really felt actually God was speaking. And I remember saying, go ahead and share that word. The person shared the word. Here's the interesting thing. There was a girl at that meeting. It's while I was at university. There was a girl at that meeting who had come along. She wasn't a Christian. That was her first time, I think, in a Christian meeting. She had come along and she came forward at the end to respond to that. And her backstory was that she had got herself involved in the, herself involved in the occult and she'd gone along, I think it was to some Ouija thing or seance or something, and through that had developed this irrational and overwhelming fear of fish. How crazy is that? And yet God knew that. God spoke a word. Fortunately, somebody was bold enough to share it. <laughs> I tell you, I wrestled with that one. But that word... And I think, from my understanding, that girl became a Christian that night. Why? Because something came in. There was a word that was given. Now, you might want to argue whether that was prophecy or word of knowledge, word of wisdom. But God spoke. And somebody was convicted and changed. So we can see that sometimes a prophetic word can just put its finger on something in our lives. My friend, uh, Dave, he's a scouser, uh, Abnul, he always talks about, he calls prophetic words zoom zooms. And I won't do his scouse accent, but he says it's like God is going zoom, zoom, and zooms in on your life. And we need that. Sometimes we need God's Holy Spirit to speak powerfully and profoundly bringing the wisdom and truth of the scripture to bear into our relationships, into our situations, into our times. Sometimes prophecy can involve foretelling. 
Now, I want us to know that I think mostly in, in the kind of prophecy we need to see in church, it's more about foretelling, proclaiming truth rather than foretelling. But we do see that at work. Acts 11, 27 to 28 says, uh, Now at this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit there would certainly be a famine over all the world and this place took place in the reign of Claudius. So here we have prophets speaking into the future in a New Testament context, and it enables and equips the church to prepare for something that was to come. I had an experience of this on a much, well, for us it was a profound thing, although it may not seem that profound, but when, um, when I had a, a situation 20 years ago and had been past co-pastoring a church and it all ended badly and in brokenness, And uh, I just thought I'd rush on to the next thing. And I remember a friend of mine saying to me, Tony, I just really feel a caution for you that this is going to be much harder than you realize. He didn't say, thus saith the Lord, but he he said, this is going to be much harder than you realize, and you need to treat this like a bereavement because it's going to have that kind of impact. And I was like, yeah, what is he on? What does he know? Like he's a friend, but I thought, yeah, nice, next. And you know what? Time and time again, I came back to that. God was preparing me for one of the toughest seasons of my life. Sometimes we need to hear that. Again, when, when uh, another very profound way God spoke to us was when Annie was first diagnosed with cancer. And we were praying and we really felt God speak to us. That God said, I'm going to deliver you through this, not deliver you round it. We were wanting, in one sense, God to supernaturally heal Annie. And then we don't have to go through this tough season. And we really felt the voice of God say, I'm going to deliver you through this by going through it. My grace being sufficient for you. And that helped us, helped us to not get disillusioned when we prayed because we knew what we felt God had spoken to us. And sometimes God will speak a word of encouragement either directly to you or or through somebody you know and trust. And I've learned to, to really listen at those times. Sometimes prophecy can be more like teaching. If we look in Acts 15.32, we see Judas and Silas also being prophets themselves encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. And I believe that preaching is related to the gift of prophecy. I think it's one of the ways, but not the only way, in which the gift of prophecy functions in church. I don't know if you've ever sat in church and you thought a sermon was just like it has been preached with you in mind. Now, hopefully that's not because you've got a manipulative pastor who's kind of using the pulpit wrongly. But, But sometimes God speaks like that. And I think good preaching should be prophetic because it brings the wisdom of the scripture, the truth of who God is and what his purposes are, and it brings it into our world and our relationships. So I think good preaching can and should be prophetic. 
One of the most prophetic examples of good preaching I ever heard um, is in, in the end of about 1998, 1999, I listened, I think it was for the first time, to some uh, cassettes. It was back in the day, cassettes. If you don't understand what they are, come and see me afterwards. Uh, and I'll talk to you about the Betamax video as well. <laughs> Anybody else have a Betamax video ever? We had a beta here. <laughs> but um, where was I going with that? Ah, <laughs> oh, cassettes. Yeah, sorry, thanks. Cassettes. So the cassettes were recorded by David Pawson in 1990. And they were entitled, What Would the Church Be Like in the Year 2000? And I listened to them. I remember listening to them again at the start of the year 2000. And they were such an accurate... It wasn't like loads of kind of thus saith the Lord. It was bringing the truth of Scripture and practical wisdom together, listening to the voice of the Spirit, encouraging and warning. And... I just wish I could get hold of those. If some of any of you are Google nerds and you want to find those for me, I'll give you. I'll pay you handsomely in cookies or something, or chemo or something like that. But but those talks they were great example, I believe, of prophetic preaching. Preaching may and should be prophetic, but not all preaching is prophecy. We really need those gifts in our church. God has given those gifts, and if we don't use them, then we'll miss out on them, and the church won't be built up. But here, in the context, Paul also writes a couple of other things. Things should be understandable. Verse 27, and that's what I want us to look at now. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Oh, the times I've wished the preacher would keep quiet and speak only to themselves. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what's said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. So Paul's saying you don't just need to use the gifts, but you need to use them wisely. They are there to help people be built up and so, for example, with tongues, he says, unless it's going to be interpreted, it's best not to use that in a meeting together. It's why, anyway, we won't go there. Uh, but the key thing is understanding. Paul wanted people to come into church and be able to understand what's going on. I think also, though, there's a way that we need to look. Is our church service understandable to others? Because if the point is that people understand, actually that shouldn't just be about prophecy, but it should be the way we do things as church. And that's really, really important. Is church understandable? What might that mean? Um, I, as I said, I grew up in a Baptist church, and it was really contemporary. Unfortunately, it was contemporary to the late 19th century. And I, I'm not that old. <laughs> My hair's going great, but I'm not that old. But it had been planted under Spurgeon. And Spurgeon did the most incredible ministry and planted churches and the most amazing evangelistic ministry. 
You know why? Because he did a great job of bringing wisdom and truth to the culture of his generation. But what had happened is, as well as taking the good things that Spurgeon had kind of planted into those churches, they'd taken his method and culture and made that the thing. And the point is that Spurgeon understood how to reach his generation. And to be like Spurgeon, what we need to do is to understand how do we reach our generation, not to copy those same methods. You know, Glenn Barrett, our national leader at AOG, often says, you know, it's important to honor the past and to, and to honor tradition. But he said, honoring the past isn't to wear your granddad's hat, but it's to go out and buy a new hat just like your granddad did. And I like that. To reach our culture, to reach our city, to contextualize the gospel faithfully for where we are, we need to understand our city. We need to understand the people in our communities. And we need to pray that God would give us wisdom as we do that. If our, if our meetings are to build people up and edify them, then they need to be understandable. People need to understand. That's why we unpack the Bible. It's why we spend time sharing the truth of Scripture because we believe God speaks and what he has to say is relevant for our generation. If it's important that all have a chance to contribute, it's also important to all have a chance to hear. And that means we have to be good at reaching all of our communities. We need to think about if we're going to reach Bangladeshi Muslims, what's it going to look like? If we're going to reach Somalis, what's it going to look like? If we're going to reach the arts community, what's it going to look like? If we want to reach people in the States, what's it going to look like? If we want to reach the posh people in nice buildings, what's it going to look like? Because church needs to be reaching all of them. And that means we need to have people from all kinds of backgrounds in our church and actively shaping it, actively speaking God's word in context to our situation. The point is that everyone is to be instructed and encouraged. I want to encourage you, take time to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Then lastly, everything should be done in order. Now, I'm married to a German, which means I understand the need for order. It's very, very important. Um, I, she's not here today. She's not very well, so I'm not going to say anything more about Germans. But it's really, really important in German culture to do things well. And... Uh, it's so important that when we come together, we do things well and in order. And prophecy is not an excuse for chaos. I don't know about you. Have you ever been in a meeting that could be described not as charismatic, but as charismania? Anybody been in one of those? You know, where you want to rush out the door. Uh, you know, you want to... Anyway, whatever you want to do. But... It's really important. I don't think we can excuse chaos and say that's just the work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul was really clear that things should be done in order. 
And you know, yeah, I just, I don't think people need to come into church and see people howling and mooing and like this is just, what is what is happening understandable and does it bring honor and glory to Jesus? Verse 31, you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. You know, when we come together, then we need to do things well and in order. Paul here talks about taking turns, not all speaking over one another. One of our great joys at THCC is the ability for everyone to speak at the same time. (laughs) But hopefully not in our meetings like that. There needs to be an order. It's never an excuse for chaos. Really, really isn't. We want to reach people in a way that's honoring. If we want to honor the name of Jesus, then we shouldn't uh, excuse, shouldn't use uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit just as an excuse for chaos. You know, sometimes it's really important to understand that we shouldn't use our lack of patience and say that's just the work of the Holy Spirit. It says here, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is is a God not of disorder, but of peace. And again, I've heard people say, I don't care what it is. I just needed to say it. I just need to get it off my chest. I just had to prophesy. I was going to explode. Actually, I don't think that's the kind of impression that we get of prophetic ministry in the New Testament. And that's why there's an order. That's why if on a Sunday you have a prophetic word, you come to the front, share it with whoever's leading the meeting, and they'll help you. They'll help to decide whether it's appropriate for the meeting. Why? Because we want to weigh and we want to test things and we want to do it well and in order. It's why we don't just have kind of a whole sort of random just firing off prophetic words and like, no, no, there has to be a sense of decency and an order. And actually, it has to be weighed. There can't be a sense of being out of control. Years ago, when Annie was doing prison ministry, this lady wanted to come with her into do services in the prison. And Annie just said, right, just want to be really clear, we have to be really careful around prophetic stuff in the prison, so I don't want you sharing anything without checking it out. And this person said, well, if God gives it to me, then I'll just say it. And he said, well, actually, you ain't coming into the prison with me then, because that is not appropriate. And actually, the whole context of these verses are together. There's that sense of submitting to one another, of being part of something bigger than us. We need prophetic ministry, but we need to be mature about it. It means that things should be scrutinized. I want to encourage you, be wise about how we speak. I personally am much more comfortable, generally if I'm sharing a word, you know, I had an impression, you know, here's something that struck me. I don't think we need to yell, thus saith the Lord. I think it makes it really difficult for someone to try and interpret that, to try and deal with it, try and critique it. And I'd much rather 
Just say, this struck me. Here's an impression I had. It owns the fact that prophecy is partial. And you know, yes, I do think there are examples in Scripture of people saying God says. But I think it's a lot easier, a lot more wise, and a lot much more mature at times to begin with, this is something that I felt. This is an impression I had. If it's genuinely prophetic, it can shine through without a thus saith the Lord. And I think that's worth thinking about. So it's worth thinking about how do we speak. Verse 19, don't quench the spirit. Um, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. There's that sense of test, test. Don't just leave things. Again, I've seen carnage and chaos in meetings where somebody gives a word that is so clearly off the wall and it's left. And that's an abdication of leadership. And actually part of sharing something prophetic is that it has to be scrutinized and it's the job of the church and often that's job deferred to the elders to be ready to get up and say, bless you, but that wasn't right. It doesn't mean somebody's written off but it does mean, and we have to do it kindly and well, but we cannot leave things out there in the public realm. If we don't critique it ever, then there's a problem. And I think that's so important to learn that. You know, test. Don't treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. All Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. You know, sometimes we need to unpack our brains and we'll talk more in our series on spiritual gifts about discernment how do we discern what is being said how do we discern the spirit behind something test don't just leave it hold on to what is good you know if you have a word that you want to share and we'd encourage you to if you're a regular part of church during the worship god wants to speak you know we often say come and speak to the host and what they're going to do is do a mental checklist in their head or with with you and they're probably going to be asking themselves, and this is what I would be asking myself, is does this bring glory to God? 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 speaks about gifts being used to bring glory to God through Jesus. So is what is saying bringing glory to God or to the person concerned? If it's about the person concerned, well, actually, is this from God? Does it line up with Scripture? If it is inconsistent, with scripture then I think we need to reject it so you know I've heard people say things like oh God spoke to me that I can get divorced and marry someone else and things like that and that's not that's not what a prophetic word can or should look like you know I don't you know it's not a prophetic word to say God told me to go on the rob in Tesco's and he gave me grace to avoid the store detective like, thus saith the Lord, here's the overcoat with the big pockets. No, no, no. Let's, let's be mature and wise about this. We'd also ask, is it consistent with the character of the person bringing the word? If somebody is the most negative, complaining, kind of, and then wants to bring a word about being an encourager, unless it's a word of, oh, look, I've messed up, I need to repent. But actually, is it consistent with the character of the person bringing the word? 
Two other things, I think. Is it for the person concerned themselves? Here's the thing. Extroverts hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and think they need to share it for someone else. Very often, introverts hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and think God is speaking just to them. And so I would encourage you, if you're an introvert and you think God might give you, have given you a word, share it with someone. Think about taking that step. If you're an extrovert, I'm not saying don't share it, but I'm saying think about the internal filter. Is God speaking this to me or is it for the church? And that's something we should always ask when we're in prophecy. And then is it for now or is it for another time? You know, sometimes God's, it is God speaking, but it might not be for now. I mean, sometimes there's a, a presence of God in the worship and somebody gets excited and wants to share a prophecy and just kills the flow of what God is doing in the worship. And we need to learn to be sensitive to those things. The warning here is don't treat prophecies with contempt. The background I grew up in did that. It was a reformed, non-charismatic, evangelical background. And in part, it was reacting to excesses and bad use of the gifts. And so they almost threw the baby out with the bathwater. And what we need to do is to use gifts wisely. The solution to wildfire is not no fire, it's intelligent fire. We need to use the word of God wisely. We need to use the gifts of God wisely. Eagerly desire prophecy, verse 39. My brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. I believe that each of us can prophesy. I believe that there are some who have a prophetic gifting who will use that gifting far more often. And we need to encourage and we need to, to identify those people and, and give them more room to speak and develop that. But I believe for all of us, it says to eagerly desire prophecy, but also to do things in order. You know, at times in our generation, it feels like one half of the church in Britain needs to eagerly desire prophecy more. And the other half needs to hear do things in order. As a church, we are absolutely committed to good biblical teaching. We want to be a church that emphasizes and builds truth based on the Bible, but also that is open to the leading and gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's never meant to be one or the other. We need to walk with those two things together. Let's just stand to our feet if the worship band could come. Tim, do you want to play something? I just want to begin by just to ask you, to close rather, not begin, that was an introduction, <laughs> to ask you the question, what gifts has God given to you? What gifts has God given to you? Are you using them? How could you use them more? In January, we're going to, after our, our, we come to the end of 1 Corinthians, we're going to have a Christmas series, and then in January, we're going to unpack some more of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I want to ask you, what gifts has God given to you? But let's think about the practical gifts, the natural gifts, the gifts that God has given to you. What are you doing with them? 
You know, we see that. If your gift is prophecy, prophesy. If your gift is hospitality, be hospitable. If your gift's a leader, lead. If your gift is with the guitar, use it. If your gift is in encouraging people, be an encourager. If your gift is giving, give. Whatever your gifts are, if your gift is as a listener, be around people and listen. If your gift is a word of knowledge, ask God to give you words of knowledge. If your gift is a gift of healing, lay hands on the sick and pray for them. If your gift is discernment, plug in, don't be a critic. Realizing very often that the downside to our gifts is often what we experience unless we use them well in relationships. You find that very often prophetic people that are disconnected become critical and judgmental. We need to use our gifts in the context. And so just as they pray, I just want you to think, what gifts has God given to you? And are you using them? Let me chuck in a hand grenade. You're going to be a call to account for the gifts God has given you. Interesting, eh? Not for the gifts God gave someone else. Not for the gifts you might want this week. But for what God has given you, you will give an account. So let's just think about it. Just these guys continue to pray. What gifts has God given to you? And what are you doing with them? If you need to take some time to ask God to forgive you for not using them, then this is the time to do that. If you need to say, God, help me, it's the time to do that. If you want to talk to somebody afterwards and say, hey, it feels like these are my gifts. How do I use them more? Come and talk to Bex, myself, Caroline, James Blake, Simon, Nixon, any of the leaders. We'd love to talk to you more about what your gifts are and how they can be used. Because God gave you gifts, not for you, but for the building up of the church.